This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and FreeWO. Today I talk with Abby Schoenberg, Director of Marketing at Fancy.com, and we talk about how UX and Shiro are handled at the social e-commerce marketplace Fancy. In case you missed the previous episode, last time I spoke with Brian Kuhlman about psychology bias myths, and you can listen to that episode on www.zero.cafe or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5. Abby, welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. And of course, first, we'd like to know a bit more about you, uh, your background uh, and, and who you are. How did you get started in, in this field of Zero? Yeah, of course. Um, hi, great to meet you. I've been, I would say, in a, in a marketing role for about 13 years at this point. So I've definitely kind of weaved through different uh, timeframes of, of media and marketing. I would say, you know, I... I Ended up be getting very focused in the CRO world. I've been, I spent most of the beginning of my career in media. Um, so in media buying and media optimization and, you know, that side of the world, both in branding and performance. And obviously yeah. optimization in those arenas is incredibly critical. It's something that obviously we can see very quickly. It's something that we can make actions off very um, intently. But as I've, you know, grown and, and developed in in my career, I've, I've started to take on more broad digital marketing responsibilities. So now what we're seeing, you know, website experience, um, social influencer relations, and all of those do have a massive component into CRO as we think about, you know, the true nonlinear path of conversion at this point. So I think it's, was, it's been a great kind of path for me to have started in a more of a traditional space back in the over in the media world where optimization is so kind of clear and straightforward as, as much as it can be. Um, and then moving into something that has so many more touch points. And, you know, that's, that's what evolved me to where I am today in my career. Um, from my background perspective, I've spent time, you know, in retail. I've spent time in travel. Um, I've spent time in e-commerce. And e-commerce is obviously where I've landed today and working for Fancy.com, which is an e-commerce marketplace that services, you know, brands from around the world as well as, you know, customers from around the world. Uh, so it's been a really, you know, fun experience taking that platform from where it's been, you know, 10 years ago as a social commerce platform into where we are today, which is really optimizing and driving towards a true e-commerce marketplace. Yeah. And and when did, uh, like, uh, things like A-B testing, when did that became a thing in your career? Was that right from the start or? No, it really wasn't right from the start. Um, I mean, we did a little bit, you know, we obviously would look at, you know, how, how certain pieces of creative were performing. I would say when I really started my career, I was still playing very heavily in some traditional formats and some traditional media. So we would, you know, test different copy and things like that, but not in the more sophisticated way that it's available to us today. I would say it was when I really started moving into some more of the performance channels and adding in, you know, um, adding in those types of fields where we were really looking at more direct response versus just brand building that I started to really layer in more consistent A-B testing. Um, Clearly something that we can integrate into everything we do from an email perspective. Obviously, we're testing consistently when we're, you know, deploying any digital creatives across remarketing or our social campaigns, but also, you know, starting to integrate a lot more testing within our website and app experience just to make sure we, we're constantly evolving and changing. But, you know, I would, I would say it hasn't always been part of my career. I think, you know, when I was in the traditional realms, it was something a little bit more untraditional in the way we tested and then moved into into this space where it's a lot more kind of 
integrated into yeah. everyday every your into your everyday day to day. Exactly. And can you tell us a bit more about uh, Fancy.com? It's a marketplace, so there's no stuff uh, on there that's your own. Uh, it's all from from uh, external, uh, uh, yeah, basically external artists or. Uh, people creating their their own uh, uh, products. Exactly. So I would say, you know, Fancy, we do um, sell the goods from other businesses. I would say the big differentiator with what we do is we vet every single product and brand that comes onto our site. So there is an inherent quality when you order from Fancy. And I think that's incredibly important for us to, you know, explain to our customer to help build that, that trust up front yeah. is there is, you know, not as heavy of a risk ordering from, a, you know, an artisan or something, you know, that is a little bit more, less um kind of less uh what i'm looking for less kind of monitored in 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 that perspective versus the way we kind of look at onboarding our brands is highly vetted you know we make sure that they're reputable we make sure they have you know standardized shipping and return policies so a little bit different than when you think about your traditional marketplace as we really are taking into consideration the consumer experience from an end-to-end perspective it's not just you know us trying to drive awareness to new brands and and drive conversion and stopping there, but really being part of that journey from, from start to, to product in hand. So I think it puts a little more pressure on us as a brand, but I think it makes us a bit, mo- a bit more reliable as a platform because we do know what's happening from start to finish. Um, yeah. So yes, we do kind of categorize ourselves as a, as a marketplace. I think it's, uh, it's got some touch points of, you know, more of an e-commerce retailer as well, as we think about, you know, us having some of those, uh, policies all lined up at the end of the day versus, you know, just kind of letting every vendor do what they want to do. And, and that kind of ending up as a risk on the consumer shoulder. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely what, what we are and what yeah. we do. And, you know, we have very cool, unique products and that's a big part of, you know, what our assortment is meant to look like. So being a, mar- being a marketplace, but uh, when I go to the website, it does feel somewhat exclusive. So uh, are these uh, products only available on fancy.com or are they also available elsewhere or maybe the, uh, the, the, their own websites or is it only on your marketplace that they're available? It's, it's a mix. I think, you know, we have some international brands that, you know, don't distribute into the U.S. So we do have some ownership there from a distribution perspective for getting some of these brands available yeah. into U.S. households. Um, a lot of what we do sell is available, you know, either from the direct uh, the direct brand or with other retailers. Um, but, you know, we, we do put a big focus on finding those unique products. They're not something you can find widely and freely, but it's we don't necessarily only focus on exclusivity um, on the website. There is some of that, of course, and there are some products you will only yeah. be able to find on Fancy. And, and again, you know, there's products that, you know, are made in the USA that we help manage their shipping and, and processing for international clients and vice versa. Um, so it does open up kind of this global community a bit a bit wider for a lot of these brands that may not have been able to do that otherwise. So there's um, levels of exclusivity, but we are, you know, we don't kind of discriminate against that being a requirement. We're really just looking to find the best, coolest, highest quality products to, to put on the site. Yeah. And uh, so how, how does it work for the zero present? Because these are all products coming from, from, uh, from others. Uh, so you're already limited in a sense that you cannot change the product <laughs> because they're not your products. On the other hand, I can imagine it's, it's also somewhat liberating that, um, uh, if, if you see that something is, isn't working like a product, um, you don't hurt your direct colleagues by saying, Oh, we have this product. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> exactly. We spent all this R and D in the product, but it's not working. You don't have that. So you can be, um, I guess more strict than that. So, but how, how is it? How is zero process for you guys? Uh, how, how does it look like? 
So, I mean, we take a lot of we t- take consumer feedback into to major account. And I think the the interesting thing with what we do versus obviously being someone that built our own product is when something's wrong or when something isn't working, you know, we have a massive suite of products that we can still lean back on. So the customer comes back and says, you know, hey, the quality of this was poor. And we get that feedback, you know, consistently and we pull the product in, in-house and test it ourselves. It's something that we will shut off. You know, it's not, we are not, you know, just trying to keep products live to keep products live. We do put a level of, you know, of consideration on our vendors and it put a level of, you know, expectation on them to be delivering quality product. And I think it gives us that added flexibility in the sense of, you know, it's, we don't necessarily have this long window of product development that requires us to, you know, take a, a product that's built 18 months in advance and try to change it quickly to make the consumer experience better. We have, yeah. you know, different varieties and different options to put the best products in front of the customer and be very confident that, you know, that's something you can get when you shop, shop on fancy. And I think, when we think about it from a CRO perspective, you know, it's just holding true and ringing true to that. You know, when we are getting the negative feedback, even though maybe the product is selling, we have to be conscious to make sure that the experience from start to finish is strong. So that retention and that repeat customer is, is something that we can, you know, count on at the end of the day. What do you use to, to get that feedback consistently? So we have our in, an internal review system that we actually um, just recently refreshed that sends, you know, request out for consumer feedback. We also do one-to-one consumer feedback um, sessions where we, you know, ask consumers to, to join us on calls or yeah. join us on Zooms to understand how their experience was. Uh, we actually end up getting a lot of the feedback directly from customer service. I think that's always an undervalued relationship in a lot of organizations is the one between marketing and customer service in the sense that they are a bit of that front line. So I talk to our customer service um, individual at, at Fancy, you know, on a daily basis, just making sure that the experiences that she's getting back from her customers are, are strong and good. And, and we're addressing anything negative that's happening with the products or the experience. So there's a, a suite of ways that we're, you know, gaining that, that consumer feedback, but I would say the most impactful has been, you know, those one-to-one sessions and just building that relationship with our customer service team. Yeah. That's often heard uh, as a, as a, a high priority source for many zero teams. Yeah. Uh, get contact with your with your support staff um, because they uh, they get all the requests, all the angry emails, and uh, and, and phone calls from uh, from uh, from your clients. And I, th- I think too, from a positive perspective, like she gets a lot of positive feedback as well. And you know that's something that we can take into account when we think about merchandising the homepage or when we think about merchandising our social feed. Um, finding the products that we know have high value and that we can use, you know, strong consumer quotes in some of the creative and integrate some of that consumer trust throughout. I think it's a two-way street in the sense that, yes, we should absolutely be taking advantage of the negative feedback and addressing it, but your customer service team is also, you know, the ones sometimes getting the praise and the glory for for the products or the experience. And that's just as useful for us when we think about optimization. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create an A-B test different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today. So can you give us a couple of examples of of the things that uh, in the last couple of years that came up during any kind of uh, feedback or customer service or whatever um, uh, that made you change the website? I sure. Yeah. I mean, I think talking about fancy over the last couple of years for me will be a little bit hard uh, just because I've been there for such a short period of time. Um, But I think, you know, we've done quite a bit where we've, you know, gotten positive customer 
reviews that have come more through the untraditional channel of customer service and ask those customers, hey, do you mind if we can use this quote and and share it out and use your name and and this review alongside of it and integrating those quotes into our creative and into our website design so people can see that real people are experiencing great things with Fancy has been a really impactful tool for us. So, I mean, I guess it's not one single example, but more of a behavior of how we're using some of this feedback into integration onto the website and into our creative. Um, But that's something, you know, just from my first day six months ago uh, is something that we've, we've started to do right away in the sense of, you know, let's, let's make the, the customer the hero, let them tell the story of the brand. And it is very, very helpful and impactful. And we do see an impact in engagement with those products when we do pair it with those customer reviews on the very front end of the experience. Yeah. And what are, what are the things that you're working on right now to uh, to improve that internal Shiro process? So I think one thing that I talk a lot with our product team about is the value exchange. I think that um, there's a lot that we just feel we can throw up and say, give us your email, download the app, you know, add this to your cart, those different types of things. But how are we creating some sort of value exchange with the consumer so that they feel like there's benefit to them creating these maybe like non-final conversion behaviors like signups and, and other actions that are really important for us when it comes to kind of building towards that full funnel view. Um, so we've been spending a lot of time talking about what the value is and how we can bring forward those value statements to the consumer much, much earlier. And of course, those can be things like discounts and, and offers, but just ways that there's levels of exclusivity built throughout each of those different touch points that the consumer is engaging with on on the website, whether that's you know, if you sign up with your email, you get, you know, exclusive access to certain products or, you know, if you download the app, you get, you know, X, Y, or Z. So I think that has been a main point of conversation for our kind of CRO, just as I've entered and come into the business and, and realized that, you know, we ask a lot of the customer without necessarily asking for much more other than just buying a product um, in return. So just taking that into consideration and making sure we do have different value touch points along the way. And, and you'll see some of that come out with Fancy in the next few, few months as we launch loyalty and as we launch different programs to engage the consumer at a different level and, and make them feel more, more valued, even if they're not converting on every, with every behavior that they take on our site. Um, and I think that that's just an important thing as we think about keeping them engaged and keeping people coming back. You know, I think we talk a lot about, you know, if we get an email into the database, I mean, that's obviously not the same as getting someone to convert right away, but the likelihood of conversion down the path is a lot stronger. So how can we incentivize that, you know, at the upfront and make sure it's happening, one, through promotion, but two, through other other value exchange ways. So that's one thing that we're obviously very, very focused on. I think we'll continue to be focused on user you know, user interviews and testing. I think we're consistently evolving the website. We actually just relaunched the um, app with a brand new kind of look and feel on the app that included more like gamification and discoverability elements that made things a little bit more fun. That was, you know, one very, very much included the the consumer and our, you know, broader staff in the development of that to see, you know, what people like. And I think taking a look outside and making sure that we're pulling people into the design process that aren't just part of the product design team has been very, very important for us just because they see things slightly different. Um, So it's been a little bit of a process change from us from a CRO perspective um, that we've been focused on for the last few months, uh, but a lot focused around, you know, that value exchange with the consumer and the way that we're incorporating feedback that takes into account, you know, someone that isn't as maybe comfortable or familiar with with our product and, and how they're moving through the journey themselves. So what kind of gamification do you have in the app? Yeah, so we've we've just recently launched um, this 
kind of Tinder swipe feature to help you discover products that are, you know, fit for you. So it's um, very much, you know, an easy way to kind of thumbs up, thumbs down products. And then we can personalize your assortments down the line based on that. But then also just a really fun lean back way for you to, you know, engage with the app and and play around when you're just looking for something cool and, and new to to purchase or engage with. And, and do you use that with uh, like only your products or do you also uh, uh, use other just images from around the web to, to uh, get people's preferences? Right now it's just our product. I mean, I think our product is a wide enough suite of a variety yeah, so from, a ca- bit, right? yeah, from a category <laughs> perspective, yeah. you know, it's easy for us to understand, you know, what type of aesthetic a consumer has when they're starting to play around with those fields, what categories they're really interested in just so we can help that, improve their feeds and improve their personalizations down the line. So um, it's just a fun way for yeah. them, us, again, for us to ask them to give us feedback about what they like and don't like, but in a way that's more kind of lean back and fun for the consumer. And again, that kind of concept of value exchange. Do you know how many products are in your catalog? Oh, tens, <laughs> tens of thousands. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you'll, you'll be swiping for quite a while if you, if you want to go it, through them all. Yeah. It is endless. You can probably never <laughs> see a product twice. Exactly. And uh, as I understood, you also work with uh, some influencer marketing. We do. Um, first off, I would like to know uh, what kind of influencer marketing are you doing? And of course, uh, since we're in a zero podcast, mm-hmm. uh, how do you make it measurable? Of course. Yeah. So um, we we play in kind of two fields. We've played, you know, in that kind of mid-tier influencer program of, you know, 100,000 100, plus influencers. But I think where we found most success has been in more of the nano and micro space. I think it's because the the following of those individuals, if you kind of look at their engagement rates, tend to be pretty strong. I think their following tends to be a bit more organic when you get a little bit higher. You know, sometimes that gets a little bit questionable for some. Definitely there's, you know, some really, really great influencers out there that have a really organic and natural following, you know, in the hundreds of thousands and millions um, range. But I think what we found has been we're able to build stronger relationships and we're able to kind of optimize the relationships better at the micro and nano level. And we see a better response from the consumer that follows that individual. There's just a more inherent trust, I would say, that that exists with that that individual because it feels a little bit more organic and, and more like a hobby than, than maybe a career. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how we play. We, you know, obviously see that product. We obviously do content relationships where we, we ask them to help us produce something around, you know, a recent app feature, you know, a website feature or a product that we're bringing on board or a suite of products that, you know, build into a collection to help a consumer, you know, understand, you know, what types of, of things you can buy and find on, on fancy. And do you then, then bring, do you bring those influencers on your platform uh, or on your uh, social media channels or do you use their channels? Uh, we use both. Combination? Yeah, we, okay. we absolutely use both. I think from our perspective, you know, we're always trying to do, you know, new user acquisitions. So making sure that the audience behind the influencer is, you know, seeing that they're partnering with Fancy is a very important tactic for us. But it's also really nice for our audience to see our products in, in real use and get a real voice behind, you know, how to use something or, or the benefit of something. Again, in that kind of trust building exercise to, to showcase, hey, it's not just a a beautiful studio shop. Here's, you know, someone, a real life person using the product and, and really kind of engaging yeah. and understanding it. Um, so we use it in both. Absolutely. We even use their content across our website. We have them build profiles so people can shop the, you know, the things that they find um, the influencer finds interesting on fancy, which is, you know, obviously one way that we're optimizing towards, you know, our conversions um, is basically having these, you know, this tens of thousands of products you can find on fancy pared down into something that's much more approachable for the consumer. And yeah. it kind of takes advantage of, 
you know, a more curated subset from the influencers that they follow. So that's one way that we've obviously tried to bring it from a very kind of upper funnel branding perspective into conversion. But from a tracking point of view, we do always provide affiliate links for our influencers and we always provide promotional codes just to, to help us track. I would say generally we see better, better results off the promotional codes, but you know, everyone loves a good, a good discount. So we're not super surprised there. And I think influencers also like to feel like they have some exclusivity that they can share with their audience. So I found it's, it's much easier to get them to share a promo code than it is to get them to share an affiliate link. Um, obviously when they're using stories and swipe up, it's super, super easy to just integrate it that way. But for the most part, yeah. if we're doing anything deeper with content, the, the promo code is definitely the way I see them lean. And I also, it's definitely the way we see um, the consumer lean as well. And just helps us, uh, helps us with tracking. And then I think from yeah. a conversion perspective, a conversion rate, I think a lot of, a lot of what we focus on is building this kind of continued relationship so that the audience on the influencer side doesn't feel like it's this one and done, you know, got paid, got out of there type relationship, but a product that they really believe in. And, and we do integrate them into our feedback loops. You know, we do talk to them about like how their experience actually was. Um, if they truly did like the product, they never forced them to post something that they can't authentically say they like. They, you know, get something and they're like, hey, this actually isn't quite my style. We'll replace it. I think the worst thing that you can do is force feed, you know, someone in that space to, to talk about something that they don't care about because they Community in the social arena is way too too familiar with influencers at this point. So I think having flexibility and and making sure that you're building the relationship is going to help just because they more authentically talk about the product. And then we can pull that through into our website, into our content ourselves to, to then share their trusting voice with a broader group. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influent, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. And I can imagine that um, um, getting those influencers connected to you and a brand and have them create content on your platform, like a curated list of the product that they like, um, that's also something they will probably like. So they can actually show to their following, hey, this is something I created. Exactly. Um, have fun. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Yeah. One thing that, that stood out for me when when going through uh, the, the shop might be a, a weird thing, but um, uh, it was uh, there's a filter in there, and I think this is going to be uh, pretty exclusive for for marketplace to be use to be using this. But it's, it's the brand values filter. Yeah, I haven't seen that often yet. Uh, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think you know that came back out of actually you know that that really started to bubble when we were starting to talk to some of the influencer partners that we work with in the space. And again, that kind of ties back to yeah. the feedback loops and, and making sure that we're understanding you know someone who doesn't work at Fancy and their opinion of of the product. And, you know, this really strong connection to the fact that there's an ability to shop on fancy through something that they care about. So we work with one influencer who says like, my following is very, very interested in buying local and made in the USA. They really like that, that yeah. aspect of what you sell, you know, is there a way I can just show those types of products? So we took that feedback back to our product team and said like, Hey, I actually think this might be really interesting for us to allow people to filter products by something that's more value to them. And maybe you know, not just about color or size or, 
you know, the standard filters that you integrate, but a way that I think more people are looking to shop, you know, especially with sustainability and eco-friendly products and, you know, BIPOC and, and minority-owned businesses. Um, I think you're seeing more and more people care about supporting businesses that, that align to their value. So that really started to kind of, we obviously had all of the brand values and we spoke to them about, uh, spoke to these brand values to our, with our influencers. So they understood, you know, different touch points they could talk about with the products that they were showcasing for us. But it was, you know, when I think three of them came back and one was, you know, like, hey, is there a way I can just filter by sustainability? Hey, is there just a way I can focus by made in the USA? They were like, hey, this is actually like a really interesting way for for people to shop and for us to be able to get people to a product that aligns to their own personal values a bit quicker, especially because it's something that's so important when we're onboarding brands is that they have that inherent quality and that in something a bit beyond just yeah. developing a product. So we actually just launched the brand values filter, I would say two weeks ago. Um, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's something new that we just integrated. And again, it's, it's just the importance of that, of using all of your partners to, to be part of the feedback loop and not just relying on, you know, your marketing team or, yeah. or your product team to, to be leading those conversations, but how is an active user actually wanting to shop your site? And that was a really great example yeah. of that. Yeah. And I think um, most marketplaces just uh, stick to whatever the product feeds uh, mm -hmm. give them. Exactly. It's not usually something that's in the product feed, right? So maybe from a, from a practical or product information perspective, how, how did you make this happen? for tens of thousands of products did you uh, manually go through them uh, all by yourself or did you go back to all your sellers say, Hey, we want to include this or. So we, there's, there was two ways. So we always, we had already been featuring what brand values that they aligned to. So the filter is something we added a couple weeks ago, but the brand values are something that we have aligned to since, you know, we've really started moving from this just, you know, more social feed to a true e-commerce solution. Yeah. And so we've actually integrated into our brand onboarding. So it's something that, you know, we define during brand onboarding and we have our vendors self-select and then we do audit it. So we obviously go through as a team and make sure, you know, everyone just didn't say they're everything. So we do have an entire team um, in merchandising that that goes and audits each of the brands when they're onboarding to make sure that the brand values are true. And we have lots of conversations with our vendors. You know, we have, you know, a great business development team that's that's making sure that stuff's happening as well. And then there are times, you know, where, you know, we get a, a vendor who maybe didn't click anything. And so we'll do some of the heavy lifting and manually input a lot of those as well. So it's obvious, it's kind of two sides of the stone. There's, you know, the vendor onboarding that it happens in, but then there's also, you know, a high touch point from our, our team that, that goes in and really validates it and makes sure that the right things are there. So yeah. it's not, you know, you know, something every team can do tomorrow. It definitely is, is a project to, to get all of those things yeah. integrated, but I think, you know, it is something that I'm very proud of at Fancy in the sense that, you know, we do bring on board brands that, that do carry these values with them. So it's it's nice to see. Yeah, when I saw the filter, I mean, I was uh, somewhat surprised to see it because I don't, you don't often see it, but it's immediately, you think like, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and I'm someone who loves sustainable <laughs> products. All, yeah. yeah, and so me being yeah. able to filter that way has been a really, really nice tool when I'm just shopping for myself. Yeah, and ju just to give our listeners an, an, an idea, the filters uh, that are on the website, uh, some of them are like made in the USA, uh, handcrafted, uh, sustainable, charitable, women-owned, family-owned, small business. So th those are the kind of brand values that you can uh, filter the products on. Yeah, and we're working on more. You know, I know shopping local is something that people are very, very interested in, particularly in the U.S. Um, and buying from, you know, their local neighborhoods or their things made in their yep. states to support their own economies. So we are working on, 
you know, adding some of those layers as well. And, you know, there's even different things like people love to buy leather goods from Italy. So making sure that we can show, you know, leather products made in Italy or, you know, facial products made in, in, in France or in Europe and, you know, just showing different ways for people to kind of find interesting products from around the world as, you know, what we're yeah, trying to do. Exactly. What kind of impact uh, did uh, the pandemic have on, on the business? You know, it's, I think you, we, I wasn't here at the beginning of the pandemic for, for the business from, but from conversations, obviously with our CEO, there was definitely a little bit of a retreat. Like we weren't sure what was going to happen, but I think with the, the shift of everyone going online and, and that becoming the main way we were able to shop for the holidays and the main way we were able to, you know, buy product, we actually, Yep. did see some growth in, in some decent growth in 2020, which is super, super exciting for us. And I think the fact that we do kind of represent a more small shop feel, we're not, you know, carrying major brands. We're not carrying the, you know, the things you can find at Target or Macy's or Bed Bath & Beyond or Anthropology. We're not carrying those products. We're carrying something unique and special. I think it allowed yep. consumers to, you know, have a bit more of that small shop feel when they were shopping in an e-commerce space. And then obviously the way we've, you know, integrated and, and updated the app has allowed for that kind of lean back discoverability, which I think some people with a lot more time on their hands have just found a bit more joy going through and, and doing that process. So I would say the pandemic, you know, we definitely felt it for a little bit, you know, when, when everyone was kind of retreating and wasn't really sure what was going to happen with, with their jobs and the economy. And obviously that's still something people are very, very concerned about, but we did, you know, find a little bit of a niche for ourselves and being able to kind of have these showcase local products, showcase something different, showcase, you know, hey, it's it's this kind of this feeling you would get when you would go shop at your local boutique and find a new brand that, you know, you hadn't heard of before, but you were excited to yeah. share with your friends and family. That's definitely the vibe that we try to pull through with the products that we incorporate. And we definitely saw people resonate with that. Nice. What, what are the uh, things you're, uh, you're going to work on this year? What are you looking forward to, to, to implement? Oh, yeah. So we are quite a bit, actually. We're, we're kind of always on sprint mode. Um, loyalty is one I think I'm, I'm super excited about. And I mentioned earlier, and I think it's something would be you know, awesome for you know, your audience to keep an eye out for of, you know, how we're going to be going to approach loyalty and it, you know, not just being something again, when we think about value exchange focused on, you know, how many purchases or how much, how much money you spend on the site, but really how you engage with us as a brand. Obviously we will value, you know, your conversion and we will reward you for that. But, you know, we know there's other behaviors that we would like you to take as well, just to, to understand who we are and be part of the community that we're trying to build with this, you know, you know, quality products that you can find and not always, you know, shopping from big box, but shopping from these small retailers. Um, so that's a big one. We're super, super focused on affiliate right now. We're, we're just getting that up and launched. So that's going to be a different way that people can engage with the brand and, and really help us kind of spread the word about Fancy. So we're doing it obviously externally with some partners, but also, and, but also building in um, some affiliate programs internally just to, again, reward word, word of mouth. Again, it's that value exchange that I keep talking about that we are yeah. really, really driving forward towards. So that's a big one. And then every day, in and out every day is just continual optimization of the products and the brands on our site. So um, that will continue to move forward and then just, you know, constant testing and and making sure the site's in in the best place and has the right features to make discoverability easy and fun on on the website. But I would say loyalty and affiliate are probably our big ones for next year. Yeah. But this year, I guess this year uh, we're in it. (laughs) This year, yes. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, and constant testing, definitely something we'd like to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Abby, thank you so much for sharing all of this uh, with us. 
uh, our time is up but I uh, wish you uh, best of luck with uh, doing all this for Fancy Days uh, this year thank you so Looking much it was so it. great chatting with you and hope to talk soon talk soon bye 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 and this concludes season three, episode five of the Zero Cafe podcast with Abby Schoenberg. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Zero Cafe website for further information. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Erwin Kerk from SiteSpec, and we're going to talk about browsers, cookies, and Zero. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing.